Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. This is Kyle Longton, and with me as always is... Anna Wolfhard. Hannah, it is a special month and a special day because today ASFA is talking about a difficult but necessary topic, life insurance. And in that vein, we're also going to talk a little bit about personal contingency planning. And I said it's a special month because September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. Um, and we've got some things going on. I, I know that's probably not circled on everybody's calendar, but we've got some special things going on um, to, to celebrate. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what those are? Yeah. Um, so in honor of Life Insurance Awareness Month, we have a live webinar with Prudential. That's going to be on September 22nd at 2 p.m. And you can find the link to register at afspa.org backslash events. Uh, we also have a blog, Life Insurance and Your Peace of Mind. So you can go check that out at aspa.org backslash blog. And peace of mind is right. Hi, um, we were talking just a few minutes ago. Uh, I just had my my 35th birthday earlier this month, and it's made me um, think a lot about um, the aches and pains that we talked about in the Hinge Health episode last week. But it's also made me think about making sure pieces are in place for my family. And so I... In the last year or so, I've actually enrolled in AFSPA's Group Enhanced Life. Um, it's a great life insurance policy, up to $600,000 in coverage with an advanced benefit option. Um, there's also some options where if you have a, if you're a new hire or if you have a life event, like you get married or you have a child, um, there's some guaranteed issue, which means you can get some coverage um, without medical questionnaires or without medical underwriting, as we call it. Um, we also have accidental death and dismemberment insurance, which is a terrible name um, but uh, for coverage, but a, an important coverage for people to consider. And um, Hannah, I think the other one that we're going to focus on a bit in this episode is our immediate benefit plan. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the open enrollment period? Yeah, so we're starting an open enrollment period that will run through mid-December for State Department employees both civil service and foreign service. Um, You can enroll with no underwriting and there's more to come about that in the episode. Yep, and we're going to talk about that. There there are two coverage options, $15,000 or $20,000. And as we'll talk about, um, the the payment is usually issued to the designated beneficiaries within two days of notification of death. Um, So it is is great to sort of bridge that gap um, and supplement other coverage you might have. But to talk with us a little bit about life insurance, but a lot about that contingency planning that that we mentioned before, is Kirk Leach. Um, And Kirk Leach has been the director of the Office of Casualty Assistance, or OCA, at the State Department for the last 14 years. In that time, he has managed over 500 employee death cases. Prior to coming to the State Department, Kirk worked for 18 years in international development, including nine years living in Latin America. Kirk's OCA team includes Deputy Director Shannon O'Brien and Program Specialist Tanya Warren, both of whom also have many years of casualty assistance experience. The three-person OCA team is supported by 50 volunteers of the crisis support teams, which are available to assist for major casualty situations. And I'll just say they've been long-term partners 
um, with us here at ASPA, all three of them, and we are delighted to have them here. Um, Kirk and I are going to be doing most of the talking, but we were, we'll were we be kept honest by Hannah as well as by um, Shannon and Tanya to make sure that we don't miss anything. Um, so without any further ado, welcome Kirk Leach, and thanks for joining us during Life Insurance Awareness Month and to talk about the work of your Office of Casualty Assistance at State. Well, thank you, Kyle, for having uh, OCA here, myself and our the two other members of our team. We really appreciate it. We really uh, enjoy uh, help trying to get the word out about the work that we do and about how important uh, what we're going to talk about today is to, to folks. Thank you. And before we really get started and talk about the work that you all do, I want to be clear for our listeners about a couple things. The first is that the information and advice that, that Kirk is going to offer can really benefit anybody, um, federal employees, retirees, spouses, children, and more, as well as people who are outside the federal workforce. However, the services of the Office of Casualty Assistance, or OCA, that we're going to discuss are specific to active in-service State Department employees, both civil service and foreign service. So if you're from another agency, some of the specific services may not be available to you, um, certainly not through Kirk's office, but um, the, the advice he's offering uh, will be valuable to anybody listening. So. Kirk, to start off then, can you tell us a little bit about the history and the daily work of OCA? Sure, Kyle. Um, we were established in 1999. You might remember that we, uh, unfortunately, the United States had two embassies bombed on the same day in Kenya and Tanzania. And uh, at that time, it was it was decided after the department spoke to families who had either suffered an injury or the loss of a loved one. The families noted that they felt that uh, the communication wasn't as optimal as it could have been from the State Department. They mm -hmm. felt that they were getting uh, um, communication from, from many different people and some of it was redundant and some of it was conflicting. And they also felt that they didn't have, uh, they didn't know who to ask their questions to. So they, they wanted one person that they could go to. So the Office of Casualty Assistance was, was established to provide uh, that assistance, that communication uh, to families after they'd lost a loved one, an employee who was a loved one, or if an employee who had suffered, suffered an injury, so that they would get a really high level, white glove level of service from the department when there was a tragic loss of a loved one of an, who was an in-service employee or an injury of an in-service employee. So we have three of us in the office. As you mentioned, I'm the director. We also have Shannon who, who, O'Brien, who's our deputy director, who's been with us about five years, and Tanya Warren, who is our program specialist, who's been with us about uh, 13 years. So. We have uh, a wealth of experience, I'd say at least 35 years of experience in, in casualty assistance among between the three of us. And uh, so we are working every day to assist folks. Now, once in a very long while, fortunately, once in a very long while, we do have an event which sort of overwhelms the three of us because of the scope of it. Um, some examples would be the attack in Benghazi in 2012, sure. the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And so for that reason, we have a cadre of five crisis support teams 
made up of volunteers from the uh, GTM Bureau, uh, Talent Management Bureau in the State Department, who we can call upon to help us if there's a mass casualty or some other type of event which requires more folks to help out with the situation. Um, we hope that these events never happen. You know, a, a terrorist attack where we, we experience a great loss of life or something like that. But we know that they could happen at any moment. So we have these crisis support teams and we recruit new members and train them. And um, we, we communicate with them regularly and they are ready to, to join us and provide assistance if something major happens. Now, the day-to-day -day assistance, of course, is provided by the three of us when we have a death of an in-service employee. Um, we have maybe around uh, an average of 40 or so deaths a year, which is a perfectly normal amount in the, in the population that we're, we're serving. Um, and it, it's no either more, no more nor less than the general population. Um, and so each of us takes a case when a, when a, when a death occurs, or a severe injury, one of us takes the case and we are that lifeline to the department and to the US government for the family of the deceased employee or for the injured employee, him or herself. Uh, and so they know that they can count on us to be with them in the hours and days and weeks and months and even sometimes years after an event occurs, a death or an injury. We're still working with folks from those 1990, 1998 uh, embassy bombings. Uh, here we are uh, 23 years later. We're still working even with folks from before that, from the Beirut embassy attacks back in the 80s. And our work only ends when it ends naturally, when, there, when, when what we do, what's within our scope of mission is no longer needed by the family. So even sometimes we get a call Years later, after something, uh, after we've not been in touch with a family, and if they ask us for something and it's within our scope of mission, we're happy to help them with that situation, um, whatever it may be. So it's important to note that we work with in-service employees, deaths of in-service employees. So, and at the end, I'm going to provide some contact information for some other situations, but for instance, we don't work with the deaths of uh, retired employees. Um, we don't work with the deaths of third-party contractors. Uh, those are a couple of examples. It's in-service employees, U.S. direct hires, and also personal service contractors. Now, overseas, um, we work directly with U.S. direct hires, again, State Department. Now, if a person is from another agency, we offer some of our services, particularly with regard to return of remains to that agency. Some of them take us up on it, some of them don't, which is fine. However, we wouldn't be administering benefits for um, an employee from an, another agency. Um, so that makes sense. They, they've got their own their own HR and, and other um, agencies and, and um, bureaus to handle that at, at each office. That makes a lot of sense. That's right, and there's and there are some some sort of obscure benefits that, that, that only uh, apply to specific circumstances. And we may at times remind the, the agency that that person is employed by of those benefits. For instance, there's the terrorism benefits that were enacted 
in 2014, and some agencies aren't very familiar with them because they've never had to administer them. So if we have a death from terrorism, which fortunately we haven't had very many lately, but if when we have, uh, I always reach out to that agency and say, hey, please remember that the beneficiaries are due this extra benefit because the employee died from an act of terrorism. So a lot, and a lot of what we do is provide education to employees. Um, apart from apart from the the case management, the the death cases that we have, the injury cases, we provide education to employees, particularly going off to danger, more dangerous posts. But really, we try to provide education to all employees through a variety of ways um, to to make sure that they that everyone is prepared for if something bad happens to them. No, none of us likes to think that something, that something bad is going to happen to us, right? That we're going to pass away or that we're going to have a traumatic uh, medical event such as where we might be incapacitated like a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or a, a, you know, a car crash that leaves us you know, paraplegic or whatever it may be. Um, we don't like to think that those things are gonna happen but within any given population, a very, very few that will happen to them. And if the if the if the employee and his or her family is educated and has prepared for that thing to possibly happen, um, it makes it a lot easier for the family going forward. Because what we see in the work that we do is that a lot of times families are not prepared and they don't have the um, appropriate knowledge. And then something like this occurs, a traumatic event, and they're trying to process the traumatic event. And they're also trying to learn about handling the situation with regard to benefits, their personal finances, medical care, et cetera, et cetera. And it becomes overwhelming for families. So we want to educate folks. So, you know, prevention, right, is the best cure. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to, 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 to help them, and this isn't exactly prevention, but it's preparation, right? It's preparation, and um, so that they're prepared if that terrible thing does happen. So yeah, we we both we both work daily in the the realm of what if, um, and so I think let's let's talk a little bit about um, what if the, some of those what ifs, but um, how we can prepare for those those events that we hope will never happen, but again, as you said, will happen to some of us. Yes. Um, and I'm hoping you can provide us a glimpse of some of that education that, that you mentioned you do for try to make available to all employees. Um, so where, where should we begin with that? Sure. Well, the most important thing uh, in my mind um, is for employees to be sure that the benefits that, the, that accrue from their federal employment and also any private benefits that they might have, such as private life insurances, um, are going to the right people. Um, so what do we find in the work that we do? We find that um, folks don't um, necessarily think about this eventuality, as I mentioned, and they don't look in their EOPF, and we'll talk in a minute about what the EOPF is and how people can access it. but Folks, employees need to go into their, their EOPS, check their designation of beneficiary forms. Now we have designation of beneficiary forms for our federal employee group life insurance, unless, you, unless the employee has waived it, 
for our unpaid compensation, which is the payout of our annual leave and the final paycheck um, for our retirement. Um, sometimes an annuity is due to a, to a spouse, uh, but other times there's a return of retirement contributions and there's a designation of beneficiary for that. Thrift savings plan, big deal. Lots of TSP millionaires out there, right? And 100,000 there. And you don't want that money to go to the wrong person. Now, you won't find the TSP designation of beneficiary in your EOPF, but you can go on tsp.gov and, and, and there's a place when you sign in, you can look and see who you bet, who you named, and you can change the designation, the, the, the designated beneficiary online. And also remember, as I mentioned, your private life insurances, if you have any. Um, you might have life insurance with, with AFSPA, you know, the regular life insurance or the immediate benefit plan, or you might have private life insurance with another uh, company. And it's important to uh, make sure that all of those are up to date. And because we we don't think about those, those benefits when we, um, when we are uh, just in our day-to-day -day life. And these, these our, our lives can change at any given moment. We can have an event which makes it so that we want to change our designations of beneficiary. We can get married, we could get divorced, we could have children, our children could turn 18. Um, there are a lot of different reasons. Someone we named as a beneficiary might've passed away. There's a lot of different reasons why we might want to change our designation of beneficiary forms and why if we don't change them, the money and something happens to us, the money will go to the wrong person. Um, and for as one example, um, let's say I was married and then I got divorced 10 years ago and now I'm remarried. Um, however, I never changed my designation of beneficiary form. Um, if I pass away, that money will go to my ex-spouse if, if I named my ex-spouse prior when I was previously married. Um, it wouldn't go to my new spouse. Um, we could maybe we joined the department when we were 22 years old and we named our parents as beneficiaries. But now we're it's 30 years later and one or both of our parents has passed away, but we never changed our designation of beneficiary form. So, and so that's a problem because we might, there might be specific people that we want those benefits to go to. And so it's really important to, ch to check your designation of beneficiary forms routinely and to change them if necessary. We're gonna talk about how they can be changed in a minute. Um, but uh, you, you, one way to do this and the way that I recommend is for uh, each, each employee to make an, 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 a date for themselves at least once a year, maybe once every six months or once every year, and just put it on your Outlook calendar. And you can do this for the next 20 or 30 years, however long uh, the employee thinks they're going to, to work. You can put it on there for any day. It could be today, it could be their birthday, it could be January 1st, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as you have it on there at least once a year and says, check my designations of beneficiary in my EOPF. That way, you know, once a year, you're going to go in and check those designations of beneficiary and make sure that they're correct. Because when we have a big life event, like a marriage or a divorce or having children or whatever, it's not on our mind to check our designation of beneficiary forms. So in the work that we do, we've seen many circumstances where 
the designation of beneficial forms appear to be incorrect and it causes some heartache. So it's really important to go in and check those designation of beneficiary forms. The other thing I will mention is having a go-to box, okay? A go-to box is a, a, a box or other kind of vessel, uh, it could be a folder or, or whatever that might be. And you go into, you, you have in your, in your box, you have all the important papers that, that might be needed if something had happened to you. Again, it can be a death, but it can also be a traumatic event like a stroke or, or a traumatic brain injury or something like that. And you have everything related to your assets, to your liabilities, and all the paperwork. You could have your hard copies of your designations of beneficiary in there. You can have anything related to your financial affairs, to your personal affairs, and so what I have in mind, for example, is a, is a one page with all the assets on the left, all the liabilities on the right, okay? Your assets, your TSP, your home, your vehicles, you know, whatever certificate of deposit, what have you, your, on your liabilities, you got your, your mortgage, maybe student loans, car loans, any kind of debts that you have, car loans, things like that. And then have the, how, what entities hold those assets and liabilities and how to reach those entities. Because one thing that we see is folks don't have access to passwords sometimes. If they're not the, the person that handles the financial affairs, if the person left behind is, is, is the person who does not handle the financial affairs, they might not have the password. So it's important to do that. You can also put in a list of your federal benefits, okay? So that the, the, the spouse or other folks left behind can understand okay, here's the, what the benefits are going to be from the federal government. And here's sort of my financial situation, because we see, particularly when the employee who passes away or who is disabled is the person that handled the financial affairs, we see that the other person in the relationship, the spouse or other long-term relationship, uh, had, really doesn't, sometimes doesn't have a good handle on the financial affairs. So if the per, if, if particularly if the employee who's listening to this is the person that handles the financial affairs, it's particularly important that you have a go-to box so that it can be found and used in the event that something happens. Um, and again, uh, you know, it, it's, it's just simply preparation and, and preparation makes things so much easier. And if folks are prepared and something happens, then they can handle the, handling the grief or handling a big medical event becomes somewhat easier because they don't have to worry about these paperwork and the finances and so forth. And I, and I want to take a, a minute and just back up on, and, and reemphasize a couple of things that you mentioned. One of those is the importance of making sure that those beneficiary forms are updated. And, um, you know, particularly with life insurance, you talked about a possibility and in, in even the beneficiary forms for your federal retirement, TSP, et cetera. Um, can you tell us why, why employees should look at these regularly other than around an um, annual event? I mean, did, would, would a will play a, a role in this or, um, or are well, these policies managed separately than, than a, a will and testament? Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Kyle. The, the, the thing is that, some folks have the misconception that these benefits pass through their estate. So they think, gosh, you know, uh, I have a will who names, you know, wh whomever, right? 
I have a will who named this person as as to get everything in my estate. So of course, all my my federal benefits are going to go to that person. Well, the fact is that um, the the benefits are going to go to the folks who are on the designations of beneficiary. Okay, they don't pass through the estate automatically. All right. Um, now, if a person doesn't fill out a designation of beneficiary form, there's an order of precedence, right? It's children, um, spouse, children, parents. And then if there are, if a person doesn't have spouse, children, or parents living, um, then it may become the estate. But the estate is quite far down in the order of precedence. So it's, 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 a lot, but a lot of folks think, well, I, I just, you know, it's going to go right through my estate automatically. It doesn't matter, you know, if I name anybody or not, doesn't matter who's on these forms. Well, it does matter. It matters greatly. Um, so, so that's, if we can clear up that misconception, that's something that we, we spend time doing is clearing up that misconception that the, the benefits pass through the estate. We do say, however, also that it is important that you have a will uh, and, and for your the estate for your for the estate that because you know a person has assets besides the federal uh, benefits. So it is important to have a will, but just understand that speaking generally, the benefits do not pass through that will through that estate. That's incredibly important. And you talked before about going to the TSP website to check your information there, checking with your independent um, life insurance carriers for the beneficiary information there. But you've also referenced the EOPF. And sure. I've been in Washington for about 13 years now, and I'm still learning some of the acronyms. So I'm wondering if you can walk yeah. us through that. Sure. Um, official personnel file, which so E just means it's online, of course. We all used to have and still have, there's still hard copies of personnel files but we all have an EOPF, okay, which exists um, under HR applicant. If you go to the intranet and the State Department intranet and you go to HR applications and then go to my EOPF, um, you'll find all the records there related to your employment that used to go in a hard personnel, hard copy personnel file. Now they're in the EOPF and this is your official, official file and this is the file that we look in when an employee passes away and that we pull the designations of beneficiary from so in in your eopf if you've never looked at it and folks listening have never never looked at it i've only looked at it rarely i highly suggest that you go in there and take a hard look at everything in there okay um because you're going to find all your designations of beneficiary all the sf50s from your whole career um, as well as, as a variety of other, other, other forms. And so what's important about it is when you go in there, check to make sure that your, all the designations of beneficiary are in there. Check to make sure that um, all of them are correct. Check to make sure that they're filled out correctly, okay? Because if the employee makes a mistake on their designation of beneficiary, whether it's a missing signature, a missing witness, a missing date, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, then that can render the, the form invalid and it can uh, negate the employee's uh, uh, designations, all right? So 
You don't want that to happen. So it's important to go into your OPEF, make sure everything's there, make sure it's correctly filled out and make sure the designated beneficiaries are correct. I myself had a situation when I joined the department and I filled everything out and gave it to the HR officer and some of it did not appear in my EOPF. So I had to fill them out again. You have to not only fill them out and submit them, but also um, go into your EOPF and make sure that they actually were scanned into your EOPF. We'd like to think that there would 100% of forms would be scanned in, but it's a big bureaucracy, errors are made and you want to make sure that they are correct. Now, they are looked at by the folks who scan them in, but um, for to make to, to try to make sure that they're correct. But again, you have it's 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 incumbent upon the employee to make sure that they are filled out correctly. OK, so it's if if it's asking for a witness and you didn't put a witness that renders the form that can render the form invalid. So important to go into your EOPF, check it out, check it out regularly. Again, put that appointment for yourself on your Outlook calendar and check that 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 uh, EOPF regularly. And that way you'll know everything in, in it is correct. And uh, you, there won't be an issue in the, on the off chance that something happens to you. And I think you know you you mentioned setting this reminder, um, whether it's it's lining up with your birthday, your maybe your anniversary of of starting entering on duty, or, or maybe even now with Life Insurance Awareness Month is a good time to check your beneficiaries, but also your EOPF on a, a regular basis. Um, and you've mentioned before that that this can really take the stress off your family when they're dealing with grief or when they're trying to figure something out in the the event of incapacitation. Um, and so. Go ahead. Kyle. One of the other thing I wanted to mention too is your SF50s in there. Yeah. You want to make sure that your SF50 shows, for example, your uh, correct life insurance coverage. Okay. We've run into that where the SF50 has a different coverage listed on it than the election form that is in the EOPF. And so then that has to get worked out. Um, we have to get that corrected. So it's really super important. Excellent. And and I really appreciate that because I think sometimes we, particularly the first day of work, people are filling out a ton of forms or they may be doing it online even before the first day of work and they forget about it. I know I had to recently update my life insurance so that my wife of nine years will get the benefits should they ever that ever occur rather than my siblings um, from when I started. So it's, it's making those updates um, and, and making sure that they're in place. Now, one thing I want to want to touch on is is something that a lot of people may not understand about life insurance plans, and I think you've run into this um, yourself, I'm sure, in, in in helping families over the years. And that is that benefits typically are not paid by the insurance carrier until they receive the death certificate, and this can take time. And, and in fact, you referenced the the bombings um, uh, back in the '90s, and back at following those that that tragic event. Um, State Department and ASA work together to develop a program to help address the urgent need for family members and beneficiaries who are left behind, and that's the immediate benefit plan. And you you referenced this before. Um, it is a program sponsored by ASA, and just very briefly, it's a term life insurance program that issues payment to designated beneficiaries within two days of notice of death. And that is one of those places where OCA and ASPA work very closely together that you all reach out to us when you know about an in-service death and we're able to, to figure out if they 
the the deceased has that coverage. Um, it's not equal to Fegley or other options that are out there. It's, it's limited to $15,000 or $20,000 to meet those immediate needs um, until other benefits can be paid. Um, and it's at a very reasonable um, premium of, of $2 or per pay period or $255 per pay period. So I'm wondering, you, you mentioned this plan, you talk about it perhaps in your education sessions. Is there anything that you would add about this, um, the, the partnership we've had on this or that the plan itself and, and why State Department employees might want to consider it? Sure. Well, it's a great partnership and every year we're happy to help when there's an open season. Um, it, it, it used to be uh, when there are more folks in the building, we, we asked them to come in and put some tables up and that may happen again in the future, I'm sure. Um, but um, to, to offer folks this coverage. And we do always mention it in our uh, education that we do. Um, it's important to have some sort of access to funds, right? Whether that's IVP or something else. But you, what happens, what we see in the work that we do is after a death occurs, many families are living sort of paycheck to paycheck, right? Um, and now, the, sometimes, sometimes the main breadwinner, perhaps only breadwinner, has passed away, and pay stops. I, I, sometimes folks don't understand. You know that paycheck is is not coming anymore. <laughs> you know it doesn't last for another few weeks. It, it's just simply not coming. And the other benefits take some time to accrue. As you mentioned, we have to have a death certificate to pay out these benefits and it's a it's a bureaucracy and these things can take weeks it can take a while to get the death certificate and then everything gets submitted and then the benefits can take a few more weeks mm -hmm. to accrue to the 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 beneficiary right and often the beneficiary is the person who's paying for a funeral they're paying for all the the the, the life costs that that keep going even after someone has passed away, right? Even if your, your spouse, for example, if, if you're married has passed away, you still have to keep paying the mortgage and the college tuition and the car loans and any, any in the day-to-day -day, putting food on the table and so forth. And what we see in the work that we do is that a lot of time folks say, hey, I, I don't really have any money. I, I what, What's gonna happen if that, that next check's not gonna come in? And it can cause a lot of stress on top of the stress of losing a loved one. Uh, it can cause a lot of stress for the family to, to either have to borrow from, perhaps from a, another family member or, or run up a credit card. And so for, particularly for folks who don't have a lot of money in reserve, like just sitting in an account that's accessible, right? Um, it's important to have some means of having some money to cover the time between the day the death occurs and the, the time that the benefits accrue, which can be a period of anywhere from four to six weeks to, to, to longer. We see that OPM is very backlogged on the annuities for civil service, mm -hmm. and that these civil service, and is, it's taking them months and months for them to get these annuities started for survivors of civil servants. So we found that the IVP is one way to, for folks to ensure that they have enough money to co cover the costs of the funeral and to also have the money to pay those daily uh, costs that continue to occur even after the employee has passed away. 
keep the lights on. Absolutely. And I do want to mention here that for State Department employees, both civil service and foreign service, there is an open enrollment period from September 13th to December 13th for IBP. And that means that any employee of state can enroll without any medical underwriting. So if this is something that you have always meant to enroll in, um, never took the opportunity, now is a great time to do it. Um, please go ahead and, and you can visit our website, afspa.org life to find the information there. And Kirk, before we before we wrap up, are there any last comments you'd like to add or any, you mentioned before some resources you wanted to share? Sure, yeah, I do. Um, well, one, one particularly is our <coughs> intranet site, which I failed to mention so far, which is um, if, you, if, if, the, if you're with the State Department and you go into the intranet and you search for OCA, um, you'll find the Office of Casualty Assistance and you click on that and you can go into our website and find information on everything that I've talked about here, including how to submit forms, um, what happens at post when a death occurs, when it, for an overseas death, what happens, um, what grief resources, there's a plethora of information uh, on our site uh, that folks can have a look at and take advantage of. Um, I did want to mention some points of contact, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say these a couple times and try to say them slowly, and folks can rewatch this, I suppose. And, and, and we'll be them, yep, and we'll be sure to put them in the show notes also for for our listeners so they can more easily access them. Yeah. Um, so for if there's questions on designation of beneficiary forms, and also questions from retirees and surviving annuitants, um, because we don't we don't handle um, deaths of, of retired uh, employees, right? So if the death of a retired employee occurs and the survivor wants to be in touch with the department, they should contact HRSC, that's HRSC, which stands for HR Service Center, at state.gov, or they can uh, use a telephone number, which is toll-free, 866-300-7419. And the HRSC can handle questions related to, to what I just said, designation of beneficiary forms, uh, deaths of retirees, deaths of an annuitant, things like that. And if, it is, and it, and it, and if the person contacts HRSC and it's within our scope of mission, they will get in touch with us and let us know and we'll be in touch with you. Now, what about uh, documents in your EOPF um, for active employees? There's an EOPF team at OPF at state.gov. So if there are documents missing, if there are documents misfiled, that's something we've seen. I've gone into, a, into an EOPF and something a document from the person who is next alphabetically is misfiled into the OPF that I'm looking at. If something like that, if there's any issue with your EOPF, speak to OPF at state.gov and they can assist you with that. Okay. And again, um, if you have any uh, questions or concerns related to your participation in your, in your retirement plan, they should be also directed to HRSC at state.gov. Sometimes, believe it or not, I mean, uh, we can have folks who aren't sure even what plan they're in, or they're they're wanting to know 
uh, about specific regulations about some plans. And if they contact HRSC, HRSC will, will um, assign an office, the office that handles that specific question to respond to the person who's inquiring. Um, questions relating to us, OCA, can be sent to our general mailbox, which is OCA at state.gov. We look at this, this mailbox several times a day. So just don't, don't think that this is just going into, you know, some mailbox that nobody ever looks at. We, we are very um, diligent about making sure that, that these um, inquiries are, are, are responded to within 24 hours, speaking generally, or sooner. And because we look at this several times a day, because we know that these are important inquiries and folks want an answer as quickly as possible. So we really try to, to be diligent about doing that. OCA at state.gov. Now, let's say an employee uh, has passed away and their family needs to report their death. Um, the best way to do that is through the State Department Operations Center. Um, and that phone number is 202-647-1519. Okay, 202-647-1512. Or let's say there's uh, a family and they have um, a, a, a loved one who's an employee at an overseas post and they're having, something's happened, something major has happened and the employee needs to return to the United States, say a death has occurred or something like that. And they're having trouble reaching that employee you can work through the operations center to reach that employee. The operations center is very good at finding employees. Um, it's what they do. It's part of what they do all day long, and they're extremely good at it. So that's another resource. Their email is ses-o at state.gov. That's ses-o at state.gov, okay? Also, um, uh, another, another place to, to report an incident is the Bureau Executive Office, the Employing Bureau. Like if a person works for the Western Hemisphere Affairs Region, um, their executive office is another place to uh, report that, that death. Uh, and, and every bureau has an executive office that manages the entire bureau and they can be reached to to report a death. And you can also email us um, because of course we'll wanna be in touch with the family after a death occurs or if a serious injury occurs. And again, our email is OCA at state.gov. And rest assured, don't hesitate to reach out to us just because you think, well, you know, maybe this doesn't apply to OCA. We've had, uh, we're gonna help if you reach out to us and even if it's not within our scope of mission, um, if somebody else in the department can help you, we're going to uh, look at your email and find the folks who can help you. As an example, a couple times over the years, we've had employees who, who, who've said, come into our office and said, hey, I'm being bullied in the workplace. Okay, this is just one example, right? Um, and that's not something that we handle. It's not within our scope of mission. But we know who the folks are who handle bullying in the workplace. So we, of course, 
referred those employees to the folks who handle that. So um, it's important to know that we're here to help. And just because it doesn't fall exactly in our scope of mission doesn't mean we're going to ignore the inquiry. We're going to try to get the help to the employee or the employee's family that they need um, in, in any situation. Kirk, thank you so much for, for the great information, for, for walking us through some of the preparation that all of us can do. And um, a personal thank you um, to, to you and Shannon and Tanya, your whole office, for the, your partnership over the years and, and for the important, critical work that you do every day to support State Department employees wherever they are in the world. Thanks for joining us today, Kirk. Well, thank you for having us, Kyle, and uh, we're happy to help. And we look forward to working with you. Uh, I've been here 14 years working with ASPA, and we look forward to working uh, for, for as long as we're all here. We'll stick around. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of ASPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for at ASPA Cares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.